Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. The official voice of the Buffalo Bills, WGR Sports Radio 550 and WGR550.com. Sports Update. Plenty of hockey news and rumors today. Pierre McGuire telling TSN 1200 earlier today that speculation won't end about the Buffalo Sabres looking into taking on the final year of Ryan Callahan's contract from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sportsnet's Luke Fox was on Chopin Bulldog earlier, adding that it's worth a call to Tampa Bay's front office looking into acquiring the Callahan contract. There's only one more year on it, and I think that actually lines up well with Buffalo because they have another year until, I believe, Reinhardt's up again. That summer is the summer you can start talking about making installing into a long-term deal, and some other guys are up. So this is a year where, you know, if you're realistic and you don't think you're a contender, why not try to poach something valuable? in addition to taking that Callahan contract off Tampa's hands. It's worth a phone call at least. You can listen to that entire conversation of Sportsnet's Luke Fox on Chopin Bulldog on demand at WGR550.com. Other hockey news, the Ottawa Senators hired former lease assistance coach DJ Smith to become the new head coach in Ottawa. Two teams only without a coach at this point, the Anaheim Ducks and the Edmonton Oilers. The New York Islanders signed forward Brock Nelson to a six-year, $36 million deal earlier today. Nelson was hit set to hit unrestricted free agency, the Minnesota Wild have hired Mike Madonna to become an executive advisor to the team. Speaking of the Wild, Michael Russo and Josh Yeo of The Athletic report that trade talks are surrounding Penguins winger Phil Kessel and another centerpiece in that potential deal would be Wild winger Jason Zucker. Kessel does have a modified no-trade clause. More on Kessel, though. TSN's Pierre Lebrun says it's not a question of if but when for a Kessel deal to happen. It's just too early to speculate where he will end up. To football, Jets head coach Adam Gase denying reports of having a role of getting former general manager Mike McCagnan fired. Gase also denying reports that he was not on board with signing running back Le'Veon Bell in free agency. ESPN's Adam Schefter reports that 49ers first-round pick Nick Bosa has suffered a hamstring strain and may be sidelined up until training camp. Jenna Lane of ESPN reports that six teams are interested in former Buccaneers defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, including the likes of the New England Patriots and the Cleveland Browns. NBA playoffs, Game 5 in the Eastern Conference Finals tonight between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Toronto Raptors. That series deadlocked at two games apiece. Tip-off set for 8.30 tonight. Earlier today in the Diamond, the Bisons taking down Rochester 4-3 after waiting out a rain delay. Buffalo travels to Lehigh Valley for their next game tomorrow night. This update brought to you by M&T Bank, understanding what's important. At M&T, we can help put you in control of your money with the My Way Banking. It's the account with absolutely no overdraft fees. Head to any M&T Bank branch today. Certain restrictions apply. Member FDIC. I'm Derek Kramer for WGR. It's easy to listen to WGR anytime, anywhere. Just ask your smart speaker to play WGR 550. Is this the nightcap? Yo, this is Patrick. Nightcap. No, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No, this 
This is Patrick! Time now for the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. Got some hockey stuff today. Excited about that. Jody Biasi here on the Nightcap for the next two hours here on WGR. Finally, some playoffs, right? We had to go a whole day without anything. Used to two NBA games a night, two NHL games a night, if not three. Even though the skill level's kind of gone up, like I'll take the volume over the, uh, I'll take quality quantity over quality when it comes to uh, the playoffs. I liked the beginning of the playoffs. Like tonight, you only get one game. About a month ago, we were getting, or like a couple weeks ago, we're getting three, four NHL games on a given night in some some days, and you were getting a couple NBA games along with it. Um, and now we've reached that time. We've reached that time of year where we're down to the finals for uh, both sports, but we're getting there with the NBA round two or uh, or game. Start that again. The third round of the NBA finals, game five tonight between the Raptors and Bucks. That gets going at eight thirty. Um, Sabres are in the news a little bit today, and it's because of Pierre Maguire, everybody's favorite between-the-benches reporter for NBC. Um, He goes on a radio station in Canada today, and he mentions something about the Sabres. He mentions something about Ryan Callahan, contract that the Lightning have reportedly been trying to get rid of because it seems like their master plan this offseason is to end up with Eric Carlson on their team. Carlson's shown interest in going there before, um, and why not? Like He's arguably the best defenseman in hockey. They don't have the cap to do that. It's amazing they even have the cap to do anything close to that, given all the big contracts they have. They have Kucherov at $9.5 million and Stamkos at $8.5 million. They have, in total, eight forwards on their team that make over $4 million. Seven of them make over $5 million. And a lot, most of them are on long-term deals. That does not include players that are coming up for contract this year. They have four players they have to sign that are RFAs. Braden Point, most importantly, 90-point player this year. He's an RFA, 23 years old. Uh, other roster players on the team that need to be signed. It's Cedric, pa- ah, Cedric Paquette, Adam Ernie. So they've got to do some stuff. And at the moment, they've only got five defensemen under contract. So they got to sign someone there, too. So... Of course, if you wanted to even keep all of that stuff, you would probably want to get rid of that contract, that Ryan Callahan contract. And if not, and you wanted to go all in and sign Eric Carlson, then you have to do it, no doubt. Because not only do they have all these contracts to sign this year, but Tampa is really going to get themselves trapped if they keep going on this path. Because they have got point up this year. Next year, they have their best young defenseman, Mikhail Sergachev, who's going to be up for a contract. And... Andre Vasilevsky, their star young goaltender, who is going to be up for a contract, and he's coming off a bridge deal, so he's going to be looking for big money. And they don't really have any sort of space to do that. And the idea floated by Pierre Maguire that he's heard around the league is that the Sabres might be a team that would be willing to take on Callahan's contract if they're getting something else in exchange. And there's merit to that idea, and there is value to that idea, and... That is something that could work for you. It is. You trade for Ryan Callahan and you take a young player in return and you give them a pick, maybe a second or a third, uh, a pick that's 
you know, respectable enough, but you're not going to lose sleep losing it. But who is that player that you're getting back? Because some of the names I'm hearing mentioned, like that's not enticing me enough to want this idea, to want to take on $5.8 million, even if it is for only one year, but to take on $5.8 million of Ryan Callahan. I think it's a bad idea on the surface. This team, and I mentioned this a lot yesterday. It's funny, last night, one thing I talked about on the show a lot was how I don't, I want the Sabres to learn from their mistakes last year. And I want them to, instead of being the team that in the trades are taking on bad contracts to get what they want, maybe sacrifice a little bit of value and sacrifice a little bit of what you want in the name of doing the reverse and getting your bad contracts to that other team. And of course, not even, what, 12 hours later, we had something out there that the Sabres were thinking about the idea of Ryan Callahan. At least, you got to go on on this, at least, what Pierre Maguire is saying, so that can be a little sketchy in itself. But, you're just working, you're getting through this. You're getting through all these bad contracts. You're just about done. Molson's gone. He's off your books. Pominville's off your books. You can bring him back if you want, but he's making $5.6 million. It's a bad contract. Those two are gone. Bogosian and Scandella, you got one more year left of those two. They make almost a combined $10 million. And they're almost done. You're working through a poso. You're about halfway through. Like, you're getting there on that. And he's not completely useless at this point. He's a very good bottom six forward. You're paying him like a top six forward, and that's why it sucks. But Oposo's still giving you good power play minutes on your second unit. He's giving you power play goals anyways. And he's giving you solid bottom six minutes. But it's a bad contract. And that's kind of what we've been working through here. Remember how the Josh Georges, we were counting the seconds left on that Josh Georges contract, making $4 million. They keep paying these guys, and they keep taking on these contracts. Berglund, they're lucky that's not here. They're lucky that dude quit hockey because he'd be under contract for a few more years at a significant cap hit. Saboka's making decent money, over $3 million, to do absolutely nothing for you on the ice other than take face-offs at a slightly higher rate than the rest of your centermen. Like, it's all he's doing for you. Why do I want to add another one of those? Unless I'm getting something significant back in return. And I mean really significant. Anthony Sorelli's name has come up. That's a good young player for Tampa. Has played like a third line center role. And you know what? That's a good idea. If you're looking to find a way to fill that second line center spot. So you don't have to rush Casey Middlestat into it again. Sorelli's a good name for that. 39 points last year. Nothing to sneeze at. Also not crazy good. Also doing it, though, on a third line on the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the most loaded teams, actually the most loaded team in the NHL with offensive talent. Like, What does he look like as a second-line center? What does he look like playing tougher competition? Because there is something to be said, and there's, there's a reason to be worried that you acquire players down Tampa Bay's lineup, like Sorelli, I'd be worried that those guys are only performing over there right now because, or getting, you know, putting up good numbers because they're that much further down the lineup. They're playing easier minutes. And what does that look like if you increase his role here? Because that's the other thing I want the Sabres to steer away from. My 
perfect idea for Rasmus Ristolainen is you add defensemen above him and push him down to a role he was meant for. Because the biggest problem with players like Ristolainen and back in the day Tyler Myers and even if you go, like going back a few years, what was our biggest problem with the core of Roy and Connolly and Vanek and Pominville and that, that whole core? It was when Drury and Briere left, suddenly your secondary scorers were forced to become your primary scorers. And they were not good enough to carry that weight. And ever since, we've had players that are probably pretty good, but they don't give you the results you want because they're playing in roles that were they're not capable of playing. And I'd be worried that you would be doing that. That you would be that's all you'd be doing. I'm looking for something bigger. I'm looking for something higher. Because in my mind, I would like to see some of these secondary roles on the Sabres be filled by guys that are still here. The only way you can do that is if you use your assets and you get creative and you find a way to add above them. Get it so that Jake McCabe is always playing on a third pair. Because he'll be a lot better off for it. Get it so that Zach Bogosian is always playing on a third pair. Get it so that Ristolainen is playing on a second pair. Get it so that Evan Rodriguez never has to play top six minutes for you. Or Kyle Poso at this point in his career. Get him so that he does not have to play that ever. And to me, Anthony Sorelli and a player like that, JT Miller too. JT Miller is a 40-50 point guy. It's a little bit better. These are guys that, sure, they're going to come in and I think they're going to help me, but I'm not seeing the big enough difference to take on a $5.8 million cap it. And the, even though it's only for one year, I think the biggest re- one, of, one of the bigger reasons I'm not on board with that idea and I don't really like that as an idea is you add Callahan and you're probably you're taking away any ability to sign Skinner and then do something else, something else big. And I think that's what they should be shooting for this offseason. It might not happen. In fact, you could say it probably won't happen because that's a big ask for one GM to accomplish in one offseason. But you got to try for it. You got to go for it. And you add Ryan Callahan and then you sign Jeff Skinner. It's over. That's your team. You can make a couple minor moves here and there. You want to sign Brian Boyle, players like that, you'll have room to do that. But you're not signing Matt Duchesne. You're not trading for Phil Kessel. And you can like some of those ideas more than others, but you're not doing anything like that. If a big-name player becomes available, you're probably not going to have the room to do it because you'll have big cap all over your roster. And it'll be eaten up in players that are not really giving you that much. This year is important for Bottrell. It's important that they improve and they are in a playoff race. And a lot of the ideas I'm hearing, like, hey, they could take on a year of Callahan. Why not? Well, why not? Because I'm trying to be good this year. And that hinders my ability to do that. And like I said, unless you're giving me something so significant that I know that it's going to make my chances better, then I'm not taking on your your garbage contract. If you want to give me Brayden Point, I'll even make it my late first-round pick. You can have that. If you want to give me Brayden Point, I'll do that. Tampa. Because I know he's going to ha- get me. He's going to help me get to a playoff race. Because I know he's going to perform for me. You know as well as you can. 
And to me, when you're talking about some of those secondary young players on their team, it's not enough. Because I don't want to see the Sabres have half their cap in players that were just waiting, counting the seconds until they're gone. Oposo's at $6 million. You want to double that with Callahan? Because if you, And by the way, Oposo has his critics and gets criticized a lot for good reason. He has not lived up to the player that they signed to that contract. He has not been a $6 million player for them. But he has been at least somewhat productive, like I said earlier. Like, he's a good bottom six player, and he is still capable of playing in a second power play for you and producing. Is that a $6 million player? No, it's probably like a a $2.5-3 million player. But we have to live with that for now. And you think Oposo's been bad. Have you seen Callahan's numbers? Because he is... He's about as useless as you get at this point at that cap figure. He's a fourth-line grinder penalty killer at best, and I've had that. That's Zemgis Gergensen's. That's all that is. In the last two seasons, let's start with Okposo. In the last two seasons, Cal Okposo has 29 goals and 73 points. It's not completely embarrassing. It's not good, but... 29 goals and 73 points. You think that's bad? You think that's bad? Ryan Callahan, in the last two seasons, has 12 goals and 25 points. And analytically, is one of the only forwards on that entire Tampa roster that has a negative impact on their possession. and has a negative impact on their wins above replacement. Like, the advanced stats don't like him. It's not just the role he's playing in. It's the player that he is in general. And I got Saboka here I got to figure out something to do with. I've got Bogosian playing a bigger role than he should be. I've got Scandella. I've got a Poso. And now I'm going to add on top of that Ryan Callahan. I want to be good this year. And it's going to be really, really, really hard for the Buffalo Sabres to be good if you are giving away that much of your cap to do an idea like that. And then next year... You'll have cap space because you're gonna have all this freed up. But now I'm starting. I'm talking about signing some of my young players again. I got to sign Reinhardt. Dalene's probably gonna get a big contract after next year. We'll see. Middlestat probably gets a bridge deal. That's another contract. And the the Bills, for all the criticism they've gotten for how long it's kind of taken and how they didn't they didn't really have to tear down what they had, but they wanted to and they did. The one thing that they did give themselves an opportunity for was to have a big offseason like they just did. And honestly, if you look at what's left over, the Bills still have like $27 million in cap left. They can do some more big stuff next offseason because they've given themselves that opportunity the way they've managed their salary cap. And the Sabres have not done that. The Sabres are the opposite. They are... Talking about, hey, we can have an offseason where we add a guy or two, but they they don't have the capabilities to make a big splash in an offseason when you keep doing stuff like this. And that's what ultimately I'd like to see them do. Take another swing. Just because one time in free agency, well, one time, a few times, the last few times you swung big under Darcy Regeer and Tim Murray, who, if I'm Jason Bottrell, I'd want to have a little more confidence that I can do better than they did. In free agency. But because they didn't work. I think we're all a little gun shy. Because when Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula got here. 
Like, that was the dream now. It's, all right, big free agents. We can do it. No longer are we going to be an afterthought on July 1st. And they made some bad signings, and ever since, we are gun-shy to go back to that pool of players. And I'd like to see them take a shot at it this offseason. I'd like to see them swing big. I'd like to see them to get a get a Matt Duchesne. You're not you're almost for sure not gonna get him, but take a shot at Eric Carlson. Go for it. Why not? The worst they're gonna say is no. Same with Artemi Panarin. And you can't even begin to make a pitch to any player even close to those guys if you don't have the cap room to do it. And if you take up six million dollars for a fourth liner, that's not not something I want to see the Sabres do. Unless, like I said, you are getting a Braden point, something big like that. Eight hundred three zero five fifty is the phone number. We had some good hockey stuff today on our station. Check it out on demand at wgr550.com. Luke Fox from Sportsnet on the afternoon show, uh, on the morning show, which we're going to play back in a little bit here. Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. He wrote a piece about Ralph Kruger and heard some good things about Ralph Kruger today. Um, when Luke Fox was on with Shopin' the Bulldog, he talked about the fact that he has interviewed Kruger a couple of times, and he believes that, you know, you're looking for a guy to talk to Jeff Skinner, have a coffee with him, and so that Jeff Skinner can figure out if he wants to re-sign here and play under this man for the next few years. Like, Ralph Kruger's, Ralph Kruger's your guy. And I'm hoping that that does have some sort of impact, because we are now on... May 23rd, and still nothing. The days are inching closer. I think we're inside 40 days now until Jeff Skinner becomes a free agent, and it's going to feel apocalyptically bad if he walks away and you don't do anything to replace that. And I'm getting a little worried because that, that doesn't seem completely out of the realm of possibility that Jeff Skinner walks and... I mean, what do you end up doing to replace that production? Because you were barely you were barely out of last place last year with it. What would you have looked like without it? That 10-game win streak wouldn't have happened. He was on a roll. And I don't think you can just find a guy to... to I mean, there are guys out there this year, but it's tough. You're going to be fighting with a lot of people. There's maybe three players that could have the impact that Jeff Skinner did uh, that's available in free agency. And Phil Kessel's an idea that's been tossed around, but it's starting to sound like he's going to Minnesota uh, from some reports today. Michael Russo, wild reporter, has him going there. We'll talk a little more about Kessel on the on the way here. The, the, the reported framework for the Wild and Penguins, if they're going to make a trade here, is Phil Kessel and Jack Johnson going to Minnesota, which again is Pittsburgh trying to get rid of their bad contracts like Jack Johnson, who they just signed, but they're trying to get rid of that contract already. And him and Phil Kessel would be packaged for Jason Zucker, who's a really good player. I think he's almost as good as Kessel. He doesn't have quite the same production, but he's good. And Victor Rask, who is a good second-line player too, second-line, third-line center, kind of a fringe guy in there. Um, He's good. And I'm starting to wonder, like, if the Sabres wanted to do a Kessel trade, that makes me think that they wouldn't have the package Pittsburgh is looking for. Because I teased Ristolainen as an idea if you wanted to do that, but you're not trading Middlestat, and other than him, you don't really have a young forward with value like Jason Zucker does. 
and you're not trading Sam Reinhardt. So like you don't really have that other guy. So I'm thinking that idea is kind of uh, not going to happen at this point. 8030550 is the phone number. We'll continue to talk about the Sabres here. What do you think the Sabres should do? Should they do a Ryan Callahan trade? Should they take on that contract if it means getting a good young player uh, back in return? 8030550 for your thoughts. We'll also read through some of your texts at 55550. Or you can hit me up on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. Hour away from the NBA Eastern Conference Finals between the Raptors and Bucks, and that's about it for big sports tonight. Jody Biasi here on WGR. Honestly, it starts within the personality that he is. He likes to keep himself in great shape, so he takes care of his body. So that's a trickle effect on the person that he is to other people. And when you have a good attitude and energy that he does, that will do nothing but help your organization. And yes, it's a game of mistakes, and the least amount of mistakes usually wins the hockey game, but attitude is everything. Former Oilers captain Ryan Smith on with the instigators yesterday not on the instigators on with Howard and Jeremy yesterday talking about Ralph Kruger uh we're talking some Sabres here Ryan Callahan's been floated as an idea it's not a favorite of mine just adding another bad contract to a long list that you've had and still have um 8030550 is the phone number if you want to get in on the discussion uh let's uh and we're, we're gonna get to Ryan Kennedy in just a second here so he was on not talking talking a lot about the draft and the seventh overall pick um, we're getting closer to the NHL draft. Like, that's coming. And seventh overall is nothing to sneeze at. Like, Nylander stinks as a pick so far. And that was eighth overall. But we're talking, like, the other picks the Sabres have had around there in recent years. Like, Middlestat was at one point the highest-ranked prospect in the world. And he's probably going to be really good. And Ristolainen is good at least. Some people will dispute that, but I think he's good. And he's someone that holds value around the league. And seven, eight years later, after he was drafted, six years later, we're talking about him maybe being moved for something significant. So I think that pick is significant. I've kind of thought about the idea of trading it. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we get closer to the draft. But Ryan Kennedy, we're going to get to in a few minutes here uh, from the Hockey News, give a little more insight to what the Sabres are looking at. 8030550 is the phone number. Let's go to John in Buffalo. John, what's up? You're on the nightcap. Get rid of Bogosian. You know he's he's a liability on defense. He's a real real big liability. And what what the new coach needs to do is take and teach these young forwards to back check and everything. I'll hang up and listen to your comments on that. Okay. Um. Thanks, John, for the call. I do not disagree at all on Bogosian. I have never been a fan of his. I've of his game. Um, he's actually like, this should, this should separate that because like off the ice, he seems like a really cool dude. Um, and he's one of the few hockey players that is willing to like speak openly and honestly uh, to the media. But but like as his game, talking about his game, I, I've never liked it, and he always has me pulling my hair out. As someone who's played lots of defense. Uh, in ice hockey at a much, much, much lower level, but someone that's played D, like, he he does stuff that I just watch him on TV and I'm pulling my hair out, like, what are you doing? He looks like a lost puppy sometimes. 
And that's even more frustrating when you have a player that has the physical skill set that he does. He's fast, he's big, and he has a cannon of a shot. But he just cannot put it together, and he never really has been able to put it together, even when he's been able to stay healthy. Um, and Ristolainen is kind of along the lines, like that same type of thing. He is big, fast, cannon of a shot, lots of skills, and can't really figure out a way to put it all together to reach that max potential. Um, and I just don't know that I want to have two guys on my roster like that. So I'll take the younger one that can stay healthy and that is better. So that like that's another big reason why I don't love the idea of trading away Aristolainen. Because I think you do that, and defensemen underneath him that are not necessarily capable of playing his minutes are going to be asked to play his minutes. And I think that includes a Zach Bogosian. And I think you're finally in a position now with some of the defensemen coming in. Montour is going to be playing his first full season here. Dowlene is now a bona fide top pair guy. Um, Lawrence Pilot is coming. He should have been here already, but he's coming. Casey Nelson had a good season, I thought. Other than the whole not sticking up for your captain thing, like that was a joke. But on like passing, uh, like a lot of his metrics were nice. He played well in the limited minutes he did. I think I finally set myself up where I think Zach Bogosian can play the role that he's meant for, which is the third pair. And that's not what he's been doing here. So if you can move him, move him, because it's a big cap hit. And if you're able to move him, then I'm open to an idea like a Callahan. But while he exists, and while you've got other players like him on your team with big cap hits like that, then, yeah, he's he's one of the guys that I would like to get rid of, and that's part of the reason that I don't like the idea of trading Ristolainen. Because I think you trade Ristolainen, and I'm right back where I was over the past couple years. I've got Zach Bogosian playing 20 minutes a night on my second pair. And it's not just him. It's Marco Scandella, too. And it's a lot of the defensemen that have been here and that have not performed. So that's my thoughts on that. Um, thank you for the call. We will get now to a little bit of draft talk. Ryan Kennedy was on with the morning show today. Get some more insight on what the Sabres are looking at. Seventh overall, Alex Turkett. See, I think that's how you pronounce his name. That's the guy that's been talked about a lot. Is a nice, exciting American player that the Sabres might take a hard look at if he's there at seven, if he's even there at seven. Uh, also, some of the guys at the top, Capo Caco, if you haven't seen any of the world championships, he is lighting it up. He's putting on a show. And he is really, if I were the Devils right now, if I were talking about the Devils in New Jersey, I think I would start to be making the case that they should pick Kako first. Um, He's been putting on a show. So that and more here with Ryan Kennedy on with Howard and Jeremy this morning here on WGR. We were just talking about Capo Kako and the NHL draft. The Combine is going to be in town next week. Uh, As always, we are going to go and uh, chat with Ryan Kennedy, senior writer from The Hockey News, to talk a little bit about some of the prospects, see what might be there for the Sabres at 7. Ryan, it's Howard and Jeremy. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what do you think? Is there anything to this discussion about Capo Caco and whether he could be the number one pick uh, as opposed to Jack Hughes? It's certainly a discussion worth having. Uh, For me personally, I still think it's Jack Hughes because he's a natural center, and because of his frame and the natural gifts he has, I I think there's still room for him to grow exponentially as a player, whereas Kako seems a little more fully formed right now. I I still think you know, he'll project to be an excellent NHLer, but 
I, and I'm conservative when it comes to the draft. I always prefer centers over wingers. Yeah. I just feel like that's the prudent move. And if you're the New Jersey Devils, you say to yourself, we could have Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes as our one-two centers for the next decade. That sounds pretty enticing. But Kako's a, a nice number two prize if that's the case for the Rangers then. Oh, certainly. I mean, if you're Jeff Gordon right now, this is like the best-case scenario where even if the Devils decide to go with Kako, then you get Jack Hughes. Otherwise, I mean, Cabo Kako, we've seen what he does at international mm-hmm. events. We've seen him break records for his age group in Finland's top league for men. I mean, he is just fantastic. His work around the net, his smarts, his creativity, you know, the physical package he brings – there's so much to like. This is one of the closest one-two draft combinations that I think we've seen in years. I would, I would go back to Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan, where it's really kind of a, a fun choice for that first team. And, you know, if you're that second team, you're still going to get, you know, probably a future superstar. Are these two guys in their own category when you look at the draft class? Are they in, a, in their own tier, basically? Yes, I would say that's one tier, and then it, it gets pretty open from there. I, I would say from you know three to probably eight at this point, there's going to be some very intriguing decisions to make because you have some other good centers from the, the WHL. You have more kids from the U.S. National Team Development Program that, that played with Jack Hughes. And uh, and then a you know Bowen Byram the defenseman out west you have Vasily Podkols in from Russia it's it's really going to be a, an interesting board uh, once it comes out yeah I wanted to get into uh, some of the other guys out there and certainly work our way down to to seven where the Sabers are but overall uh, you know we we tend to ask people all the time characterize a different draft class this year versus other years how does it stack up what are your thoughts on anything stand out in particular about this year's group. Well, I would say, for me, the hallmark of this class is going to be that NTDP group. I, I don't think we've ever seen a group with such depth. Uh, there's arguments to me be, to be made whether this is the best NTDP team ever. I mean, you, you did have Austin Matthews and Matthew Kachuk and a whole bunch of other guys a couple of years ago. But, you know, I spoke to a scout during the second half of the season, and he said he wouldn't be surprised if every player that was eligible for the draft on that NTDP squad was actually selected this year, and that's unprecedented. I yeah. mean, usually you get about 10 to 12, but we could see you know 18 to 20, which is pretty incredible. And I think, especially in that high end, there's a very good possibility we could see seven or eight of these players go in the first round alone. And I think that is going to be the calling card of this draft class, is just how many impact forwards that Team USA had. That's great for, for U.S. hockey, although, I mean, it's been year right, Ryan? It's been a while now. You know, we've seen an increase in U.S.-born hockey players, right? We've seen an increase in first-round picks from the U.S. So I, I suppose I'm, we, we shouldn't be surprised, but it still is a nice feather in the cap for the national program and for U.S. hockey. It really is, and this is a combination of years of work. And, and actually, I just did an article for a recent issue about the American development model, which is about to celebrate its 10th anniversary. And you really have to applaud the efforts at the grassroots level that USA Hockey has undertaken in the past decade. And the, you know, we're seeing the fruits of the, their labor. It's not only in Minnesota, Massachusetts, Michigan. It's, it's all over the place. I mean, we're seeing kids 
from, you know, a lot from New York State, but we're also seeing kids from California, Arizona, Florida, Texas that are starting to come up, starting to make impacts, um, starting to get taken in the first round. Obviously, Austin Matthews is the best example, uh, but Ryan Johnson is a player we might see in this year's first round. He was born and raised in California. So the diversity we're seeing geographically is a huge strength for Team USA because obviously the population is so big, and now if they can attract a bigger pool of athletes to hockey versus some of the other big four sports, it's just a huge advantage uh, that America has because of that population base. We're with Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. Seven, the Sabres are at seven. Who are we talking about? What kind, what kind of player? You can get into some specific names too, but what, what kind of player are we talking about at seven? Is it possible? Is it an impact guy? There's no way this guy's going to have to get seasoning. What are, your, what are your thoughts at that point in the draft order? Well, it's a, it's a nice slot to be picking in. I don't think you're going to get anybody who's going to help right away, uh, but that's fine. I think it's most likely going to be a forward unless Jason Botterill and his staff really want a defenseman, and then you might see somebody like a Philip Broberg go a little earlier than projected, and that's fine. Um, but I'm thinking it's probably going to be a forward. As I mentioned earlier, Vasily Podkolzin, uh, the Russian power forward, He'll, he might be available then. Um, you know, there is the Russian factor. I think, you know, if he was from Flin Flon or if he was from Edina, he'd probably be the number three uh, prospect in this draft. But he does have two more years on his contract uh, in Russia, so that might be a mitigating factor. But this kid is just a powerhouse. I think he's going to be an NHL fan favorite. He's really physical, um, plays with an edge, has a lot of skill was really good at the World Juniors, and, you know, Russian coach Valerie Bragan does not play 17-year-olds. He just doesn't, no matter how good they are, but he trusted Pod Colson. Pod Colson was playing minutes late in games, in crucial games. He was back out there if he made a mistake, and I think that bodes really well for him. So, for me, he's one of my favorite players in the draft class, and I'm really intrigued to see how high he goes. Um, two other names to keep in mind, both from the NTDP. The first is Trevor Zegris, who, you know, if Jack Hughes wasn't on that team, I think we'd be talking a lot more about Trevor Zegris because he is explosive, he's offensively gifted, he's got a great motor, and, you know, sometimes he played with Hughes, sometimes he didn't. Uh, he's also a center, and I think that he'll be a really good prospect. He's committed to Boston University for next season, so he's going to a great program. And I think he'll probably be available in that range. Mm -hmm. uh, the other name to keep an eye on is Cole Caulfield. Um, this is a player who is just so dynamic. He's an incredible goal scorer, set the program record this year four goals. He's only five foot six. Uh, you know, he could be that next Johnny Gaudreau, Alex DeBrinkett type, but his name just keeps coming up the rankings because I think at this point in my talks with scouts, they say, look, a lot of people missed on Debrinkit and Gaudreau during their day. Yeah. Shame on you if you pass on Caulfield because of his size, because this kid gets it done pretty much every night. He was incredible at the world under 18s for team USA. He's headed to the university of Wisconsin next season. Another team, that is really good right now in terms of churning out NHL prospects under coach Tony Granato. So I, I, I really want to know when hmm. Caulfield's going to go because he certainly has the talent to be a top five pick, but we have seen that bias against size in the past yeah. where he could slid 
slide out of the top 10, even into the top 15. It's interesting. And you were, you were mentioned to and I was watching, he was having a good world championship too, but, but also we had this discussion years ago when Mitch Marner came up in the draft. I mean, he's not big at all. And look what he's been able to do in his NHL career and look at what he's about to do in terms of payday. Indeed. And you know, the thing about guys like Marner and even Patrick Kane is, yeah, they're not that big, but can you catch them? Yeah. You know, how many times did these guys actually get hit on the ice? And it's because they're so quick, uh, not only on their skates, but in, in, with their minds. And I think you know, with Caulfield, I don't see him getting plastered too much out there. Um, you know, the, the question is going to be, can he defend at the NHL level? But when you're on the wing, that's not as important as, as if you're a center. So I, I think... You know, guys like Marner and DeBrinket, uh have really opened some eyes where you say, okay, well, they can be 40-goal scorers in the NHL. They can be 90-point guys. And if you have the chance to snap them up, you probably should. The Sabres have a second pick, Ryan. It's going to be at the tail end of the draft, th- uh, first round, 30 or 31. Anything? How, how, how deep is the first round? What kind of prospects would we look at in the, the late first round? Well, there's going to be some interesting names, and I think it really comes down to um, that sort of 20 to 40 range. It's it's kind of interesting, and this happens every year where we think of it as a first round and then a second round, but, I mean, the the number 32 pick is no worse than the number 31 pick. We just happen to take a break on the Friday night. So, I you know, I mentioned Ryan Johnson before. He plays for Sioux Falls in the USHL. They just won the league championship. Uh, he is a one-man breakout, as they like to say. You know, a, a great mobile defenseman. I think he'll be available in that range if the Sabers want him. Another name to keep in mind would be Vladislav Kolyachinov. Uh, he played in the OHL for the Flint Firebirds. Another defenseman uh, came over in the import draft, and he uh, has some nice size. He plays a great all-around game. Great character, great personality. Scouts really love talking to him. Um, he'd be another option in that range. So, you know, if the Sabres go for a forward with that number seven pick, maybe they go with a defenseman with that, you know, 30-31 pick, whatever it turns to turns out to be. And I think those two guys would be pretty good options in that slot. Before I let you go, why don't you get a, a little plug-in for the Hockey News draft uh, coverage? Yeah, draft preview is uh, on newsstands now, and you can also find a bunch of content at thehockeynews.com. We have a great subscription service now where if you just want the digital edition, you can do that. If you want everything, uh, we've got other packages. So check it out. Uh, We're super happy with what we're doing right now. The magazine itself is on brand-new stock paper. we got more pages than ever, uh, so it's a very exciting time for us. You can follow Ryan on Twitter, too, at THN. Ryan Kennedy, senior uh, writer for the Hockey News, joining us to talk a little bit about the draft. Again, the Combine going to be in town uh, next week uh, at Harbor Center. Ryan, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on with us this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me. There's Ryan Kennedy. If you missed any part of that, it's on demand at WGR550.com. We'll come back. And I got a little bit on uh, – so the NBA today came out with their all-NBA teams and – it's not just an honor in the NBA because it affects players and uh, their pockets, their money. And I'll explain more about that. Clay Thompson was not happy today. Uh, he lost about $30 million. And it's a, it's a weird system they have, but it's a, it's, it's an interesting one. We'll talk more about that when we come back. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR.
nearly made the All-NBA team, which would have elevated your potential. Oh, I didn't? They already came out? Yeah, came out today. You were, like, uh, right behind who got, or no, no, right behind who got third team. Kyrie. Uh, but you, you barely, yeah, Kemba. Kemba got it. Uh, you were a couple. I mean, that's cool and all, but, like, when you go to five straight finals, I, I, I respect those guys, but holy, when you go to five straight, I mean, it takes more than just a couple of NBA guys. It's like an all-time team, but whatever. That's not a, I'd rather win a championship than be third-team All-NBA, so it's all good. Clay Thompson, the Golden State Warriors. So he lost some money today. $30 million. The NBA has a system, if you don't know, that... Players that make the all-NBA team, I think twice within a certain amount of time, or win an MVP, or win a defensive player of the year, often, or I think it's just defensive player of the year, um, win one of those awards or one of those accolades, and then you're eligible for a super max contract. So they have a max contract. It's a cap figure that you're not allowed to go above. They also have a super max contract for those specific players, and Clay Thompson was one selection to an All-NBA team away from qualifying for a Supermax contract, and he's going to be a free agent this offseason. Whether that's going to be with the Warriors or someone else, it'd probably be with Golden State, but that's a lot of money. And it ended up being about $30 million that he lost out on because about he came about 15, I think it was 15, media votes short of the All-NBA team. So it's pretty amazing that 15's pe- 15 Sports writer votes cost Clay Thompson $30 million. And I, I feel for him because it is hard to get shine when you've got those other guys on your team, right? Like he is, not only is he not the best of them, he's also about the quietest of them. Durant is arguably the best player in the world, and he's always going after people on social media. He's always telling people what he thinks. He always gets snippy with the media and snippy with fans on Twitter. Like, he's very sensitive in that area on social media, so, like, he stands out, and and plus he's the one who went there, and, you know, big decision when he did that, big thing when he did that. Steph Curry is Steph Curry. Like, he's the best shooter ever. He has a personality that that comes out a lot. Like, he, he talks. He's not afraid to say anything. Um... And he's, one again, the best shooter of all time, maybe the best player in the NBA, too. And Draymond Green is not as good as Klay Thompson, but he's fiery, and he always yells at the refs, and there's always something going on with him. He's kicking people in the stones, or he's doing stuff, you know. And Klay just kind of fades in the background. He's just one of the best shooters in, the, in basketball, one of the best shooters ever. And he's going to lose out on $30 million, maybe partially because it's hard for him to get so much shine there. And I wonder if that'll contribute to whether he wants to leave. Because Durant's getting a lot of talk right now um, about him leaving, going to the Knicks or the Nets. And I think if he goes, Klay Thompson almost for sure stays. But Durant could stay in Golden State. And if that happens, I could ver- I, th- I would guess that Thompson would leave. His dad played for the Lakers. He's got a big connection to L.A. Um, and he could go there and still make a ton of money and still be on a really good team. So I could see him going if uh, Durant wants to stay in Golden State. But that probably won't happen, but you never know. Um, 803-0550 is the phone number. We'll switch back into hockey a little bit in hour number two. Uh, 
comment on Josh Allen and a good comparable. So Sal's got an article up at WGR550.com. Check that out. Comparing Allen and a good second year to Mitch Trubisky's second year. And I think it's fair. And I think that's a good target to shoot for. But what Allen is and what you paid for him, I'm starting to think a little bit higher. Or I want a little bit higher. And I'll give you a comparison for what I'd like to see uh, in year number two when we come back. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi, hour number two after this here. When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. WGR. It's the Nightcap. She loves the Stanley Cup. Hockey man is what I am. Let's go. Listen, listen to what I say. Play that game the Canadian way. Hockey man is what I am. Let's go. It's the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. It's a weird beat in that rap, isn't it? I mean, I guess it should be. It's a Don Cherry rap video. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. Getting, I'm getting a little excited because uh, the Bucks and the Raptors are on in 20 minutes, and I've been loving these NBA playoffs. And we haven't been getting, we're not going to get a lot of them, a lot more. Probably going to get a few more games in this series, at least two or three. And what is game five? So you're going you're gonna to get two or three, literally. Um, and the Warriors seem like they're good enough where they might sweep or win in five over whoever's in the East. So trying to soak it in as much as possible right now. Um, WGR550.com. So if you haven't been to our website today, go check it out. Sal's got a piece up there comparing Josh Allen and what a second season could look like to Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. And that's been a comparison that's been made a lot, and there's a lot of merit to it. When you really look at the Bears and you look at the Bills, there's a lot of similarities. The Bears draft Mitch Trubisky. He plays in his rookie year. He doesn't do a whole lot. He did a lot less than Josh Allen did. And they didn't have a lot to work with. And then they go, all right, we think he's good enough where we think we can make some a lot of big additions in, in, in an offseason, and then we're going to go from there. And like, well, that's what we'll try to take off. And that's what they did, and that's what happened. They added Allen Robinson and Trey Burton and... Taylor Gabriel, and they drafted Anthony Miller in the second round. And if you, Anthony Miller is going to be a super good young player. I mean, he had a he had. This is a little off topic. Anthony Miller had his shoulder separated six times last season, and he didn't. He missed I think one game and had seven touchdowns, which was second among rookie receivers. So I think he's going to be super good. Um, anyways, the Bears did all of that. They added around Trubisky. Even if you want on the defense, they added Khalil Mack. Like they went for it. And they were good, and they made the playoffs last year. And was Trubisky amazing? No. You look at his stats. I mean, 
Yardage-wise, he ranked... Pro Football Reference does not want to work for me, but he ranked below average in the league in uh, in passing yards. Uh, I mean, only 3,200 yards you're looking at, and... 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, a lot of rushing, and I think Allen, you know, is going to give you that too. Um, and the Bills kind of did the same thing what the Bears did last year. They added John Brown. They added Cole Beasley, Tyler Croft. These are B guys, which is kind of what Chicago did. Like, Chicago didn't go out and grab the best players on the market. They didn't go out and grab the cream of the crop at each position, but they got guys that are respectable and that you know are producers at their positions. B guys. And I think the Bills kind of did the same thing. Now, the difference and the reason that I, I think, unlike Sal, would not be satisfied with Mitch Trubisky, with a Mitch Trubisky season for Allen, is his skill set and what you paid to get him, his ceiling, all that's been talked about with that, he should be better than that. He should be. And this is a league where quarterbacks generally, if they're good, they're good right away. Or they're good pretty early on. It's very rare that a quarterback nowadays struggles in his first year or two and then takes big steps in years three and four. Usually in the second, first or second year, the guy shows you some sort of uh, something that make you think that he's going to be good for the next ten years. And Allen did some of that last year with his rushing. Not a whole lot with the passing. Some. like yeah, I think he was good as a passer. But he wasn't great. And he didn't show enough. But that ceiling that keeps coming back to me, that arm, is something that Trubisky does not have. And even though he's a more accurate passer, Trubisky is, I think your ceiling is higher on Allen. I should be wanting a better second year than what we saw out of Trubisky. I'd like to see, honestly, even though it's not his second year, I'd like to see Allen this year have the season that Baker Mayfield had last year. Can you be as good as the guy who was picked first overall, was in his rookie year. Because that shouldn't be that hard to do. That should be a reasonable expectation. And Mayfield was better than Trubisky last year. 64% completion percentage. 3,700 yards. Only starting in 13 games. 3,700 yards. The rookie touchdown record. 27 passing touchdowns. 14 interceptions. Alright, some turnovers, but not a ton. Like, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'd like to see out of Allen is numbers like that. Because, you know what, numbers, like, they seem to get downplayed a lot. Like, I don't don't really care what his numbers look like. I just want him to look good and I want him to win. But the numbers at the end of the day are partially a representation of how he's playing. And, I don't know, I'm just sick and tired of... Thinking that 3,000 yards or 32 or 3,500 yards is some sort of accomplishment for a quarterback. And that's the bar around here. That's been the bar. Our quarterback, oh, can he get to 3,500 yards? He better be able to. Because that's not that great. 3,500 yards is not that great. That is middle of the road. It's actually below average in the NFL. Andrew Luck's a 4,000-yard passer. Matt Ryan's a 4,000-yard passer. Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers. Case freaking Keenum almost got to 4,000 yards. Eli Manning, who was terrible last year, gets there. Tom Brady, Goff, Derek Carr, Rivers, Watson, Breeze. 
Mahomes, Roethlisberger, all these guys are getting above 4,000 yards. That was about half the league I just named in quarterbacks. And if we want Josh Allen to be a franchise quarterback, he's got to be in the top half of the league. At least. That's the minimum. Because if you're sinking down below that, and you're settling in with the Daltons of the world, and the Tannehills, and the Flaccos, then I think I need to want and want to do better. So I, I think this is a very important year for him because I'm one that believes that quarterbacks, if you're good, you're going to see it early. Dak Prescott did it right away. Russell Wilson did it right away. Andrew Luck did it right away. Patrick Mahomes, first full season, did it right away. Deshaun Watson, he won the job. He came in for Tom Savage, great, right away. And these other guys that take some time, usually where they fall is middle of the pack at most. Winston struggled early in his career. It's not a surprise to me that he doesn't have a contract extension in Tampa, and he's thought of as a middle-of-the-road quarterback. Marcus Mariota was not that great right away. It's not a surprise to me that he is not thought of as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Trubisky, kind of the same thing. That's part of the reason I'm not okay with that. Trubisky was bad in his rookie season. And he was good last year, but he wasn't great. So I'd be hesitant to just anoint him as a franchise quarterback if I'm a Bears fan. And it can happen. I'm not saying it does not happen. Jared Goff. People were calling him a bust in year one. And since then, he's been great. Whatever That might be in large part due to who his coach is and the weapons that were provided around him. But he's been great, and you can't take that away from him until we're proven otherwise. And that's one example, I'll give you that, of a guy starting slow and really taking the bull by the horns and being really good. But that rarely happens. And a lot of what my opinion is and what I would hope the Bills' opinion is of whether he can be a franchise quarterback should come over the course of this season. You get a full offseason, you get upgraded weapons, you get an upgraded offensive line, you got the offensive coordinator that we all seemingly want and that they seemingly want. It's not Rick Dennison, it's a guy that has some creativity and some, some pedigree behind him. The excuses are gone. So there has to come production. And it has to come to a pretty significant rate. You have to look like an offense that wants to throw the ball. Because think about what the Bills' offenses have looked like for 15-20 years. My lifetime watching as a Bills fan. What do they look like? Run-oriented offenses. Running first. Big, big-name running backs. High draft picks at running back. Near the top of the league in rushing attempts. Sometimes you're leading the league in rushing. But why is that? Part of it sure has been who your running back is and what your mentality as a team is. But also part of it has been who your quarterbacks have been. And not being, re- not even being able to rely on them to throw the ball 40 times a game. 35, 40 times a game. Which is not that... That's not that much anymore. That's par for the course. And we're waiting for a quarterback to come along with a skill set and an efficiency to be able to give you even that, that baseline. 
And that's not, like I said, elite level play. If Kirk Cousins is a quarterback that, you know what, he's not great, but he's good enough to where his teams have trusted him to throw the ball 40 times a game. And that's really what I want out of Allen. I want him to show enough competence that he's different than Tyrod Taylor, who the Bills did not trust to throw the ball a lot. EJ Manuel, who the Bills did not trust to throw the ball a lot. Trent Edwards, who the Bills did not trust to throw a ball a lot. Be different than that. And to me, that means being better than what Mitch Trubisky was last year. Doesn't have to be a lot better. In fact, if he has a Trubisky season, I'm not going to crush him for it. I'll say, all right, okay, fine, not bad. That's where I'll probably land if he has that season. But I think we want more, and I think we should be. I think we should be willing, and we should be able to expect more, given what his skill set is, what his physical ability is, and what the Bills gave up to draft him. Multiple picks, multiple players that you traded away to get those picks. Passing on other young quarterbacks. That's part of it too. And that's why, to me, the bar should be raised higher. I'd like to see Mayfield's rookie year out of Allen this year. 3,700 yards, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. Because you know what that tells me? That tells me that he's good enough that Sean McDermott and Brian Dable are willing to let him loose. And not play conservative. Because if you have a quarterback that can throw the ball a mile and that can jump over linebackers, I think your ultimate goal should be to let him loose and not rein him in. 803 is the phone number if you got any thoughts on that. We'll hear more on Allen when we come back. Um, Dan Orlovsky, some good film review on Allen. He's very good at analyzing quarterbacks for ESPN. Uh, we'll play that back when we come back. Um Chris Sims, too, another good interview if you want to check that out. We're not going to play that back, but he had some good similar similar stuff on Allen, uh, and you can check that out, too, on demand at WGR550.com. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. I'm a big fan of what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are doing here in Buffalo. I mean, I think in the conversation for winning the offseason as far as the draft and free agency. But, yeah, I look at it that that way to where I think the team's got to be relevant maybe in December. Chris Sims, good stuff. Check that out at WGR550.com. He's on with One Bills Live. We're going to Dan Orlovsky in a a second here uh, talking Josh Allen in his second year. Sal's got a piece up at WGR550.com on that. Um, 803-550 if you want to get in too we'll read through some text 550-550 for that um, yeah we'll continue on let's go to Steve Steve you're on the nightcap what's up hey what's up man hey I was just I was just driving home and I completely agree with what you're saying first off okay so I had to pull over because you said you want to go back like 20 years yes with the well, with the bills yes that's right Okay, well, I'm just I'm thinking off the top of my head on players that were completely horrible in their first year, second or third year, and then groomed into these massive quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Elway in '83, he was four and six, and then the next year he was twelve and two, if I'm not mistaken. Jim Kelly in '86 was four and twelve, and then he went to six and six, and then. 12 and 4. 
And then Drew Brees, eight and eight. He regressed and went two and nine, all with San Diego. And then he went to eleven and four. And then even Troy Aikman, who was zero and eleven, then seven and eight, seven and five, and then after he got the players around him, he went to thirteen and three. Those are the only four players I can think of because I just got off the throughway, and I'm sure mm-hmm. there's many, many more. Yeah, but I'm not sure if there's many, many more recently because to me, a lot of the guys I'm looking at that are starters now in the league, like it doesn't, it has, it's not happening with the new guys. I agree. Listen, I agree 100%. I listen to your show all the time. Cool. And I really agree with what you say. I'm just saying there's, it's yeah. going to happen. History is going to repeat itself. And Josh Allen has the tools and his nucleus around him. I believe it's going to happen again. That's all I'm saying. Steve, thanks for the call, man. Um, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. My, I'm almost saying if he ha- if he does have a bad year this year, then I'm I'm like I'm almost out. I'm almost out. Like I my rope would be so small for him that I'd already be thinking about the next thing. That's if he had like a really bad year this year. I don't foresee that happening. I wouldn't guess that's going to happen. I don't think it's also impossible, but I don't guess that's going to happen. But that's what I'm talking about. I don't I think he was good last year. I think he arguably was very good last year for what was provided around him as an offense. I mean, you saw Nathan Peterman couldn't do couldn't get a first down with that offense. And Derek Anderson couldn't do anything with that offense. And Matt Barkley did, so there's that. But Allen was able to do it over a large sample size, at least for one season. Um, so, like, but but my problem is a lot when you bring up names from 30, 35 years ago, like, hey, this is the example of a guy that struggled early on and then came in and flourished. Like, we're talking about a different sport almost, and that's my problem with it. And that's why I can't go back. You can't go back that far. It's a different game. It's a different line of thinking for teams. Coaches and GMs, they know they have a limited time themselves. And if their first quarterback they pick fails, then they try to get out as quick as possible because they know I'm lucky if I get in a shot at another one. And I got to hit on that or else it's over. And Bean and McDermott could be thinking the same thing. If Allen does the unexpected and maybe regresses from what he was last year, and just flames out. They're going to be thinking about a new guy. That's the way the business works. But what type of season is about? What the real the real conversation here is: what type of season is a success for him? And you want a better year. And to me, you want a better year as a passer. And Trubisky's season from last year, which we were using as a comparable, is a better season as a passer. And that would be some sort of improvement, and that's why I'd be okay with it. I'd be fine with it. But what I would want, and what I would want to see, and what I think I have the right to expect, given where he was drafted and given his tools, is something higher than that. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that's Dak Prescott. I don't necessarily think Dak Prescott's a great quarterback, but his team wins, he's efficient, and... You know, the, the completion percentage would never look the same. Dak's a 68% complete, completion quarterback. Allen throws the ball down the field too much where that number is ever going to look like that. Um, and Prescott's good. I don't want to call him much better than good. But yeah, I think he's good because he's accurate and because he's mobile. 
Allen's good because he's mobile and he can throw the ball 150 yards. Like, that's why he's good. And there's really not a great comparable for that. So that's why it's tough to make one. But I like Mayfield's rookie season uh, with some rushing on top of it uh, as my ideal Josh Allen season this year. All right, let's get to Dan Orlovsky here. A more in-depth look at Allen film-wise and what we're right to expect in 2019 from the Bills' second-year quarterback. Dan Orlovsky, I'm with One Bills Live yesterday here on WGR. The third and final hour of our show, we got a good guest, one of our best guests on the line with us right now to talk about the NFL and about quarterbacking, including the Buffalo Bills. He's a former NFL quarterback, played for Detroit, Houston, Indian, Tampa Bay, 12 seasons in the league, contributor to The Athletic, and obviously a contributor to ESPN. Happy to have Dan Orlovsky on the line with us. Hi, Dan. John Murphy and Steve up here in Buffalo. Thanks for joining us. What's going on, guys? It is great to be with you as always. We noticed, I noticed, Steve saw it, your analysis of about two minutes worth of video, I think it was Bills versus Detroit last year, and you really dove into uh, Josh Allen and maybe some of what he needs to get better. And here's what I like the most about it, Dan. The easy knee-jerk analysis of Josh Allen is, oh, he's inaccurate, he's got to get more accurate. No, we've said this, the, the Bills brain trust says this, he needs to be a better decision maker. It seems like that's what you saw too in your analysis, huh? Yeah, I mean, when even when he was coming out of school, I never bought into the accuracy thing because everyone only just pointed to a number. And when you watch the tape, there wasn't like these massive accuracy issues. And I didn't see that last year. I was someone who kind of pointed out some concerns of him coming out and was also the same person that last year said, man, Josh Allen did some really nice things, like really good stuff, not just encouraging, but like, wow, this kid could be special type stuff. But for him to become truly what his talents allow or, or his talents should al- allow him to become, it, it certainly is tied to the decision making. And decision making really comes down to two things. One, what your thought process is before the ball ever gets snapped. You know, what All right, this is my play. This is the defense. You know, where can I go with the football? What's not going to be good? What can be good? Who is my matchup? Here's the weakness of the coverage, all that stuff. And then it's what happens after the snap. You know, a lot of times, what do I do in panic situations? What do I do when, oh, I thought this guy was going to be open, but he's not. Where's the next guy? That's really Josh's next step. And I say this all the time. The great quarterbacks, the Brady's, the Breezes, even Rivers, Peyton Manning, Matt Ryan for long stretches, Russell Wilson. These guys often play boring football to people. They have flashy plays, but they play boring football because they always know where to go with it, and that's going to be a huge, a huge thing for Josh moving forward. One of the things we've spoken about, Dan, is that fact that uh, unlike all the other guys that were drafted last year or those top four, uh, Lamar Jackson also is an exception. But uh, you look at uh, Josh Rosen, Uh, Sam Darnold, and even Baker Mayfield. Freddie Kitchens went from quarterback's coach one year to the offensive coordinator. Now he's the head coach. Baker Mayfield's going to have to adjust in that. Sam Darnold, new coaching staff. Josh Rosen, new coaching staff. But Josh Allen has a chance to come back with everything intact, including his almost his quarterback room. His certainly his backup in Matt Darnold is going to be the same. How big a difference can that make for a guy coming into his second year? Same offense, same room, same coaches, all of that. Oh, it's huge. You know, it's my correlation for guys when they, you know, go from college to the NFL or you learn one offense and then have to learn another offense. It's like, you know, always taking somebody from America that only knows how to speak English and then dropping them in a foreign speaking country 
it's not only like can they learn it, but can they go live their life? Because that's what quarterbacking is. Is like you have to go. <laughs> it's not just learning the offense. You have to go execute the offense. You know. Right. And so um, the fact that Josh now gets his second year kind of learning or speaking this language, it's huge. Because now Josh doesn't have to walk into the huddle or be at the line of scrimmage and do things hesitant or handle things with question marks. He can go in and and start pointing guys and teaching guys and um, speaking to guys in a way where, hey, I see it this way. I need you to understand that. So it's going to be huge for not only his development, for the whole offensive development and for the continuity of Brian Dable knowing Josh Allen a little bit more and then Josh Allen knowing Brian Dable a little bit more, you know, and that's a big part of this too is like they go back and this coaching staff can go watch film and go, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore because Josh doesn't see it great. His eye doesn't see it great. Let's not let's take that out of the offense. We can add this. He he sees stuff like this or concepts like this really well. And then Josh is going to have a great feel now of going, hey, Coach Dayball, uh, listen, when we're in second and two and we're down in the red zone, I like when you call plays like this. Now, I have a great comfort level when you do stuff like this. So for him to have that is a big deal. Dan Orlovsky, our guest ESPN analyst, who did a great uh, short uh, piece about Josh Allen on Twitter. And you mentioned it a minute ago, Dan, but I wanted you to kind of uh, uh, amplify this a little bit. You mentioned how important it is for Josh Allen to have a plan B so that if he gets to the line of scrimmage and he doesn't see what he was looking for, he has another place to go. Two, two parts to this question. So we assume that he maybe didn't have that last year and that that would be a difficult thing for rookies. And B, how important is that for, to have a, a backup plan if he doesn't get the right look? Yeah, so uh, answering the first part of it, yeah, I mean, he was a rookie. So that is all part of this maturation process. So let's break it down like this. Everyone talks about quarterbacking, and you often hear people say, man, he preconceived that one. You can't do that as a quarterback. That's a bunch of baloney because as a quarterback, you shouldn't stand at the line of scrimmage, know your play, see, at least have an idea of what the coverage is and goes, all right, this ball's probably going this guy to that guy, or I'm probably working this side of the field. You're preconceiving where you're reading every single play. But you can stand, like the play that I broke down, you can see that Josh stood at the line of scrimmage and he wanted to throw that seam to his left. And yep. he was going to try and move that safety and rip that seam. Well, that okay, okay, that's great. I love the aggressive mindset, but it didn't happen. What, what's next? What is the next step in that? The process needs to be, all right, I get to line of scrimmage. I got single high, man. Man, I really like my seam to the left. I'm going to stare that safety to the right and rip that seam. And if that seam's not there, that ball's going down to that jerk route right now. Easy. Okay, that's your next step. And so how important is it for for Josh? It's so important for every quarterback, but I do believe it's a little bit more important for a guy, guy like Josh who's so talented, who for a long time has gotten away just on talent, just on his arm and his ability to make throws and run around being such a big deal, such an advancement that he was able to be a really good player because of it. But what? if and this is the thing. If he wants to go from – interesting prospect or good to really good to great to Jim Kelly conversation. That's when he needs to start handling the mental side at a different level. That's when he starts playing a little bit boring football in certain situations. Cause that check down might give you three points. That check down might get you a first down that leads to a touchdown and you win the game by four. It's all tied together. So it'd be 
for me, for Josh Allen, after watching all the games last year, it is by far the number one thing for him to go from exciting player to this guy's a really good young quarterback and the next franchise quarterback for the Bills for 10-plus years. What are we going to see? What's the first thing a casual fan is going to notice about Josh Allen if he does the things you're talking about? If he takes another big, huge step forward, what are we going to see? What's that going to look like? You're going to see uh, the ball getting out of his hands a little bit faster. You know, So there's going to be uh, a little bit better situational football. You know, in, in that clip I broke down, it was third and 10 on the 27-yard line. Unlikely conversion. So that's when situational football reigns. He's going to start handling the situational football of, all right, it's second and two and we're calling a shot. It's not there. Get the ball down and get another first down. It's down in the red zone, not taking those sacks. It's in two-minute drills of understanding that the incompletion is better than the two-yard completion. That, I think, is the, where the tangible you know, fan will see some stuff. And then also, it'll have impact on their wins and losses. Because you guys know, so many of these games are so close. So many of these games come down to two, three, four plays that maybe don't happen at the end of the game. Maybe they do happen in the second quarter. And the situational mastering of the quarterback uh, either adds points to your total or takes some points away from them because they lack the other team doesn't get a possession. But I think the biggest thing is is the ball getting out sooner. Is the ball getting out faster and him getting completions earlier? Around the line with Dan Orlovsky, ESPN analyst. Uh, Dan did a lot of work around the NFL draft, some great work around the NFL draft. And I have a question for you about another Bills quarterback, uh, uh, undrafted rookie uh, Tyree Jackson from University at Buffalo. How do you figure he went undrafted, and what do you think his prospects are? Yeah, it's interesting, John, because I did the Buffalo Bowl game against Northern Illinois. Yeah, and uh, he was very interesting watching on tape because you could make the case he had the most wild throws out of really any – you know, division one quarterback in football this year, like wow throws. Yeah. Uh, and in that game in the first half, he was outstanding. And in the second half, he kind of went ghost. He just went away. And I, that's tied to some stuff, but he went away. And that was really, uh, I struggled with understanding how he could, how he was such a dominant player for such a stretch and then kind of no showed in really a huge comeback win for Northern Illinois. Uh, He's a prospect, and that's the exact definition. I mean, everyone knows his size and the big arm. There's some mechanical flaws there, but there's also some stuff there that you go, man, if we can get this this kid to refine some things, maybe break down and build up, um, I wouldn't mess with his motion. I know some people talk about the unique motion. I don't care about that stuff. If it gets to where it's supposed to get to, which a lot of times for Tyree it does, I would say the reason he went undrafted is there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And everybody knows that this is not a patient league. Yeah. When I went into the NFL, every team kept three quarterbacks. Every one. I, I dressed for every single game my first two years. I played in one. I dressed for every game. I studied. I didn't have the pressure of having to play or learn a game plan inside and out. I was able to work on my game. I was able to work on the things I wasn't good at. And so that'll be really interesting is does Buffalo keep three? um, And does he have the opportunity to still be in the room and be a part of the room and learn some game plans, but just spend time focusing on the things he needs to break down, the feet, the body control, 
a little bit of the timing and touch of some of his throws. That's the biggest question mark tied to him. But there's a lot there that you go, there's not a lot of people like th- this guy out there. Yeah, yeah. You talk about him being in the room with Josh Allen. And Josh Allen seemed at times last year was really the – well, he was certainly the most exciting player on the Bills offense, but the, the front office and the coaching staff went out and upgraded a lot of the pieces around Josh Allen. They went out and got some guys in – in free agency, they got uh, Cole Beasley, they got John Brown as wide receivers, and they completely revamped their offensive line. Um, what are your thoughts on how much help they're trying to give Josh Allen? How much effect do you think it'll have? Well, it's smart by them. I mean, I love the John Brown signing because uh, more speed and certainly talent at the quarterback position or throw the ball downfield. But it's not just for Josh Allen. Like, when you have a guy that can run like John Brown, it affects everything a defensive coordinator has to do. So it's going to help your run game because defensive coordinators have to go, all right, uh, we don't necessarily love putting our corner out there by himself on John Brown because we don't match up well. So there's some speed out there. Will Zay Jones take the next step? Cole Beasley's better than really what his numbers even were last year in Dallas because he was the only guy in Dallas and Dak struggled to see him a little bit. Cole Beasley's the best slot in football in the NFL right now. And he's going to have that ability to, for Josh Allen, he's going to be, he he's going to allow Josh to have a comfort level going, okay, it is this, third and four, this second and 10, and I need to find a completion to get this ball out. Beasley, sit in the zone. Talk to me with your body language. Let Yeah, we lost Dan for a second there, and that which is uh, unfortunate. He's in the middle of talking about telling us how good Cole Beasley <laughs> yeah. was. I'd never heard anybody I, – I, a lot of people like Cole Beasley. I did too. Uh, Dan Orlowski was going off about how he thinks he's the best slot receiver in football – um, Julian Edelman might have to say something about that, but that's uh, that's pretty strong words from uh, from Dan Orlovsky about yeah. our guy. We're hopefully we can get him get hooked him back, back up. I'd like to finish up with yeah, him. we'd love to. Finish. There's Steve Tasker and John Murphy talking to Dan Orlovsky. We will take a timeout and continue that. Finish it up when we come back. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Last call on the nightcap. Let's finish up with Dan Orlovsky from ESPN talking quarterbacks, especially Josh Allen on One Bills Live yesterday. I'm back with you. Yeah, but sorry, we lost you in the middle of that. I apologize. You were talking about Cole Beasley. Can get back to that. You said uh, he he'll give uh, Josh Allen a level of comfort. Yeah, there's going to be that, and, and a lot of times like security blanket. But there's going to be that that communication of, hey, I've run this route concept before. This is how I like this route concept. And Josh is going to have to look back and be like, okay, Beasley likes it like this because he's going to talk to me in body language. Also, the fact that Beasley played with Tony Romo a little bit, who was a, you know, at times a run around, make some really big plays. Beasley's going to be able to have that part of like, hey, Josh, this play, this, this is not a run around play. Make sure that when I get this leverage off this nickel, if he's inside of me, what I'm going to do is body him. Just put it on my outside shoulder and let's just get this completion and move on. There's going to be that experienced communication from Beasley. He's the best slot in football. So that's going to be huge for Josh. Just that that teaching, that understanding, that comfort level, that, that confidence throwing the ball to him. I love Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox reminds me a lot of Owen Daniels out of Wisconsin who played for a long time in the NFL that was really good. 
Um, and so again, you're 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 adding really good football players, but knowledgeable football players to Josh. Um, the obviously Cody Ford addition is going to be big, but just guys that have played, guys that have produced. I always say the the one of the great things you can do for a young quarterback. Everybody goes, man, just give him a run game. No, give him people he has confidence in. John Brown's going to give him confidence in man-to-man situations. Cole Beasy's going to give him confidence in man or zone. I really think Dawson Knox is going to be a huge addition to this football team because he can win against man coverage. The greatest thing they did was give him guys that are going to allow Josh to have confidence throwing the football their way. Dan Orlovsky, our guest. Uh, I want to just get you back to your draft analysis, Dan. And, and now that the draft is over, those those uh, quarterbacks who went in the draft, you know, Haskins to Washington and and Daniel Jones to the uh, Giants and, of course, uh, uh, Connor Murray to Arizona. I wonder which of those, which rookie quarterback goes into the uh, league in the with the best chance to succeed based on what you know prior to the draft and what you know about those teams that they wound up with. Yeah, that's such an interesting question. My answer is Daniel Jones. Um, I like the situation better than I like the player. I don't, I don't see a lot in Daniel Jones's game that makes me go, wow, he's going to be great for 10, 12 years. There's nothing there that is uncoachable. Like, Josh Allen last year, you can't coach the arm. You just you you can't coach that. Daniel doesn't have anything in his game like that, but he literally gets to go learn behind a guy who's done New York City sports better than any player ever, or at least good as any player ever in Eli Manning. And handling the pressure and the fans and the market and the expectation, he gets to go learn behind Eli and how he goes about that. He gets to play with a generational running back at some point, likely and Saquon Barkley, and that organization wants no part of playing Daniel Jones right now. So there's he there. It's a really healthy situation for him. Um, Kyler's intriguing because of the the unknown of Cliff Kingsbury and what's he going to do. I actually think that Arizona is going to be better than people anticipate. They've made some really nice additions. Um, Dwayne Haskins. For me, it's twofold. One, Jay Gruden needs to let Kevin O'Connell, that offensive coordinator, design and scheme and call that offense because he's got Chip Kelly background, as did Ryan Day, who was the Ohio State uh, head coach. And that's where, obviously, Dwayne had his great success. But I need to see Terry McLaurin be something in the NFL before I put Haskins out there. I need to see Doxson take a step forward. I need to see Paul Richardson take a step forward. I need to see Jordan Reed stay healthy before I put Dwayne Haskins out on the field because he's a very specific style of a quarterback. I love him, but he's a very specific style. So um, situation-wise, I do believe Daniel Jones is in the best one. Yeah, that's interesting. You you mentioned uh, he play, he'll play behind Eli, and I liked your characterization of Eli handling New York City sports as well as anybody. He's kind of like Derek Jeter in that regard, isn't he, Eli? Yep. You know? Yeah, and that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. he didn't get drafted to Jacksonville. He didn't get right. drafted to a, a market where sometimes the, the fans don't necessarily care that much. Like, you guys know New Yorkers are incredible fans. And so to be able to watch Eli, man, Eli, you threw three picks on Sunday and we lost because of you. How do you handle the media on Monday? How do you handle the fans? Eli, you threw three, three fourth quarter touchdowns and we won because of you. How do you handle the fans? And how do you handle your teammates? And how do you handle the media? That's, that is such a big thing that's not getting talked about enough is being able to just learn from guys like Eli. Dan Orlovsky. I'm with One Bills Live. Some good stuff there. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show tonight. 
Uh, stay tuned. I think I got, we should have a podcast dropping, our first podcast before the weekend. So stay tuned for that. Check me out on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR and uh, look for that. Quick score update if you're wondering. The Bucks took a big lead early against the Raptors. Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. They're up 27-18 to 18 a couple minutes ago in the first quarter. That's going to do it for me tonight. Check the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. I'll be back with you tomorrow from 7 to 9. Until then, have a good night. This is Jody Biasi on the Nightcap here on WGR. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.